All right, welcome to the inauguration podcast. We're here with Zach Troy. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Alex. We're also joined by two special guests today. That's right. We got uh, Ned Bent, reoccurring guest, back-to-back weeks. Hey, thanks for having and me. And we are honored to be joined by Ian Smith. Ian, why don't you introduce yourself to the people? What's up? I'm Ian Smith. I played football with Alex and Ned at St. John's College High School in D.C. Um, I'm originally from Queens, New York, and I do campaigns. I worked on Cory Booker's campaign. I worked on Hillary Clinton's campaign in 2016, as well as Brad Schneider's uh, congressional campaign in 2016. Impressive resume. Thanks for joining us. Mm, No problem. Yeah, so obviously today was Inauguration Day. Um, Why don't we start with you, Ned? What did you think of uh, the event today? I thought it was great. Um, I mean, it was a lot different than a lot of the other inaugurations because there was like no one there. But it was kind of cool kind of trying to guess who everyone was because they all had masks on and whatnot. <laughs> you know, I thought it was great. I thought his speech was really good. Um, I thought he he said what he needed to say to unite everyone. And uh, I mean, overall, I thought it went well. You know, no hiccups. I mean, there wasn't any protests really going on here that I could tell. And uh, great day. <laughs> yeah. What was the vibe like in D.C. for you? Uh, for me, I mean, it was it it was like actually snowed very briefly, um, but other than that, it was like really sunny day. It was just like clear, and I mean, it was just no hiccups at all. So, great day. <laughs> right, so, what do you think, Ian? Uh, I thought it was great. I mean, like, fuck, it's been a crazy four years, and um, like winning the election, I kind of like, like it. I let all the emotions out when we won, like being a part of that and like working with his team a little bit, it was like building up to that. And then like, I kind of like exhaled once we won, but then like the rest of the month showed you that like, no, you're, you didn't make it yet until like today when like there isn't an insane person with the controls for another um, couple months. So like today, finally you get to exhale. Um, but the the ceremony was like basically I was just holding my breath, hoping nothing crazy happens until we get those two sworn in. And then once that happened, I kind of could like breathe, exhale, and tune out. But I thought the speech was great. Um, I thought the poetry was amazing, um, and I did like that with his speech. He didn't get too pomp and circumstance. He kind of kept it very much in the present, like. Um, I was watching another podcast the other day. I think it was either 538 or Crooked's podcast, but it was um, basically saying like when you're writing, I think it was um, fuck it, Crooked or whatever. Um, but I think they were saying something about like when you write that inauguration speech, you either have to focus on the present and try to like speak to the country as it is now or try to make a moment that's like etched in time. And I think like he struck a balance between doing both. Very cool. Yeah, yeah I, I liked it as well. The poetry was great. And it's nice that he, you know, appealed to uh, both sides and, and really echoed this message of unity. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, obviously, Trump didn't go out without trying to steal some headlines. Uh, Zach, what did you think about the pardons? Uh, you know, I, first off, my first thought, I was, I was disappointed that Tiger King didn't get one, man. I heard that he had a limo waiting for him and everything to get out of jail. 
Um, I was sad that we couldn't see that saga go, but um, I'm glad that his advisors talked him out of pardoning himself or his children or anything um, kind of ridiculous like that. Um, it seemed like nothing outlandish happened. I saw little Wayne got one, Brian Erlecker's brother. So um, definitely some celebrities on there. What's the story between, behind uh, Brian Erlecker's brother? I didn't hear about that one. Yeah, so I just saw it on ESPN. I guess he said like a, a gambling ring, an underground gambling ring, and was in jail for that. <laughs> um, and I guess Brian Erlacher reached out to Trump and, and got him pardoned. So nice. Yeah, a little D-list celebrity there for you. I'm all about the ahead, power. And I think like um, I'm happy he's using his clemency. Like the but there is that I wish he used it for like some more regular folks like I'm all about making it less taboo for presidents to do clemency throughout their four-year term instead of like sneaking like the the hard pill to swallow on the way out. But he used his pardons a lot less and he used them for like political favor. Because I, I mean, at the end of the day, no matter how like kind you think he is for pardoning Lil Wayne and Kodak Black, doing that on the way out is securing him some sort of black voter base that he's going to try to use next time he runs, you know? So like, I see it as double edge when he could have like gone to much more regular people and pardon folks who actually deserve it much more than even those two. Um, but I'll take what I can get. <laughs> I feel that Ian, yeah. uh, but you know, Trump's going back to Florida, so he needed a new Kodak album. So that's really exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just i think presidents do this a lot though right they do the the pardons right at the end right before they go mm-hmm. out, and it's kind of like a last like ditch thing i know he he got a lot of his uh his former co-workers who stayed lo- loyal uh bannon and uh i think he did flynn earlier right bannon flynn stone they all got pardoned yeah, the Bannon one is interesting to me because Bannon, my understanding, is he's not, he's not with Breitbart anymore. But, I mean, obviously, Trump is going to try to find some big media outlet for his future. I mean, this relationship with Bannon has been kind of hot and cold. So I guess it's back on again. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think I think it, it never left, right? And I, like, I, I genuinely do think, like, if there is a quality of trump that like some could see as a virtue he is loyal right like the little wayne pardon is a extension of loyalty for supporting him during the election right like there's several hip-hop artists that could have used a pardon none of them were politically advantageous to him in november so therefore they didn't get one right but like if you are loyal to him in any way i can or and like have enough voice to get close to him i can see you getting a pardon so like it doesn't surprise me that bannon got a pardon were you surprised by who didn't get a pardon? Like anyone in his family or any of those supporters from the, the Capitol rise? No, I mean, that would be suicide for him. Like <laughs> himself. Yeah, if, you, if you pardon the Capitol rioters, then like one, you're going to shake the presidential pardon because a fully democratic controlled legislature is going to now pull back those powers. And two, you will have lost all like political cover from the what 30% of Republicans that do support you. Like, I think you just put yourself on more of an Island. Yeah, I agree. I was curious. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, it could have, he could have done a lot more with those pardons, like even to his 
loyal uh, crew. So, mm-hmm. um, Ian, what do you think about the impeachment, man? I, I mean, some people think the Senate has a lot to do. Trump has gone anyway, but the ad, the advantages maybe you could bar him from running again. What's mm-hmm. your thoughts on on that? Yeah, I think I mean that's a big advantage. Um, like, do I think they should do it? Hell yeah! Like, obviously, will they? I don't know. I couldn't tell you. I think what what we need like what seventeen Republicans or something like that. Like, that's a that's a high bar to clear. I think I might have heard something about like. That's for a full conviction, but a simple majority might be able to bar him from running again. I don't know if that's true or not. You have to fact check me on that, Macho. But um, <laughs> that that would be dope, and we could do that by ourselves. But um, yeah, I mean, like there has to there has to be consequences, and if that is like when we look back at what has been impeachable in the past, like he's raised the bar by orders of magnitude, so. If there are no consequences for this, then I don't know where the bar is at. Like, there has to be consequences. It just seems yeah, like there's always be... timelines that kind of get in the way of things. Like, oh, you got to do this by, we got to run this by the House, and then the Senate has to deliberate about it. But then it doesn't, they can just decide not to even do that. And right. Lose his traction, and he just wasted months. So, yeah, we'll see what he does in his first 100 days. Be interesting. Yeah, speaking of his first 100 days, he – you know, uh, rolled out a bunch of executive orders. I think today he was going to do um, everything from climate change to immigration. Zach, what did you think about what he put out today? Um, yeah, I mean, it was, I think it was pretty cool that he decided to work today too, you know, just not revel in his inauguration. There's usually, from my understanding, a lot of balls that happen afterwards. Obviously, you can't have those with COVID. Um, but I thought it was pretty cool that he started to get right to work because uh, he's got three crises to kind of work on throughout his first 100 days so um i think we saw him extend student loan forbearance um i also think he what were some of the other ones um climate accord i'm pretty sure right um rejoined the who so i mean basically it seemed like his first day was really about uh writing trump's wrongs um so glad to see us get back on track to a more uh unified approach yeah Run that shit up. Fuck it. Like, what are you wasting time for? What do you, what do you want to twiddle your thumbs for a week? No, fuck it. Like, sign all the executive orders you need to, like, right now. <laughs> do it. <laughs> do it huh? Like, yeah. what, what, what are we going to sit outside of the climate accords for another day for? I mean, that's yeah. that's what I'm waiting for. Like, as, as as relieved as I am that this new administration's here, um, I've seen us have like the triple threat before when. We had Obama's first term and we passed Obamacare, like, and that was all we passed. Um, I hope, like, the theory of political capital is dead now and that you take your opportunities and you pass all the legislation you can because when the Republicans have the ball, they do the same. So, like, we have to stop pretending that this political capital is some, like, zero-sum thing that we lose whenever we pass legislation that we like and that we gain whenever we, like, capitulate. We have to just pass everything we need to. He has to use his executive order power because we are in a place of, like you said, several crises happening simultaneously that we have to address like right now. And we don't have time to um, play this like patty cake game. Do you see Democrats banding together like Republicans do where they just are on the same team? Do you see that happening? Yeah. I mean, they they have to. Um, that's a great question. That's a great question. I've always done it in the past is the moderates and the progressives. The divide between those two, or like, 
Republicans, they'll just vote on whatever, <laughs> like the rest of the team, you know? Yeah. He said, we got capital. We have a split tie with the vice president in the Senate. Like, you can't play games there. <laughs> exactly. So, man, you got to push a lot of stuff. D.C. statehood is at the top of my list, but, you know. Yeah, that's going to be fun. <laughs> like, shit like that is what I'm talking about. Like, that's something that traditionally, if we, like, for a lot of the things that I want to do, we're going to have to destroy, like, the filibuster, basically, and kind of rid of it. But there's a lot of, like, traditionalists who are going to be like, no, we need the filibuster for, like, because we want our opponents to be able to slow us down. And it's great to have that, like, senatorial process. But <laughs> I, I think we need to, like, we need to hurry up and get rid of it. D.C. should be a state. Like, we should do all the things we've been talking about. I'm excited to see if we do it or not. Like, do does our caucus feel like we're actually in a crisis or not? That's that's going to be the question we answer over the next two years. I'd say that's for sure. I'd say that's probably one of the best points is that it's exciting that it's it gives hope right now that we can change something because it feels like a lot something needs to change, you know. So we need to see them doing what they need to do. Mm-hmm. That's the laws we've been talking about. <laughs> we'll see. So Ian, what do you think's next for Trump, man? He's gone. I mean, he's kind of the Trumpism is kind of over this year. I mean, I know it won, you know, at a lot of lower levels, but it lost in Georgia mm-hmm. and he lost the presidential election. What do you what do you think's next for him? Um, For I, I think that's two things. One For him specifically, I, I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know. Like, is there there's a lot of questions I have. Like, I think. I'll start with like what made him like he is I'm in the school of thought that he is like while him having control of the government was horrible because like he has a lack of character in my opinion I think the symptoms of the ideology that bred him are still alive and well if not stronger than they were when he got here right like now if another figure like him creeps up you won't have the whole Republican party in the primary trying to snuff it out like they did with him, you're going to have several like support it, if not try to make that the standard bearing thing. So I think like that, that part of the, that's scary. I mean, it's so true, right? Like yeah. he is not like, he is one person that represents a major, a portion of the country large enough to win the presidency, right? Like, that's a significant amount of the country and they're still there and they wish he won and they're excited to see what comes next. Right. And they don't know what's coming next. If he's the next thing, I don't know. Like that's, that's the question, like going back to what's next for him. I don't know, but I think like something that represents that is going to be the nominee for the Republican party. Again, I don't think like, I find it really hard to see the school of George W. Bush, Mitt Romney, and the more like pragmatic, moderate conservatives that are like going back to fiscal policy and like austerity, I don't see them taking control of the party again because I think the party is more interested in a culture war and the people fighting that culture war are going to be the ones like Donald Trump that are their standard bearers. Yeah, I mean, you wonder if like Donald Trump Jr. becomes their next figure, like who's going to be their next Trumpist figurehead? Because they have to find somebody. And I don't think Trump's up to the task. He's getting old and up there. And a Big Macs can't be good for your heart. So 
Um, they're going to have to find someone kind of new and, and young, I think, to take that over. Yeah. And I think like what you were seeing, like obviously if they had like 2020 hindsight or if they could go back into the past, like folks like Holly and Cruz wouldn't have done what they did um, ahead of the certification of elections. But like those folks know what I know in that like that's their party and that's what their party wants. And they are positioning themselves to be next, right? Like maybe the party goes with Don Jr. I don't know. It's whoever captures that spirit. But like you're seeing the people who have the best shot um, or like early like favorites for the Republican primary in 2024. They're the ones who were trying to decertify the election. They're the ones who are like standing on that rock because they know that's where their party's at and that's what they want. So like if you need to look for evidence of where the party's going, look at Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, people like that. They're not going to turn into Mitt Romney tomorrow just because they were wrong. They're going to like recalculate, recalibrate, and come back with a better version. Yeah, it seems like Cruz wants to take the torch and be the guy. He, you know, he has a bigger name than Hawley. He ran before, obviously. Um, so, I mean, we'll see what comes next. Uh, you know. But uh, I guess it depends on what happens in the Senate as well, because you know McConnell seemed pretty um, supportive of impeachment, along with some other Republicans. So I guess we'll find out. Yeah, whatever McConnell. I don't know. Like I, I kind of I know McConnell has a lot of control over the Senate and how they vote, and he's able to whip votes a lot. Like I wonder if him giving permission gets you that seventeen votes. I, I seriously don't know. Are like basically are there seventeen states that are like less than seventy percent Republican in the Republican caucus? I don't know if that's true. Cause that's kind of like those numbers you need to be able to piss off Trump voters and still win as a Republican in, in your state. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, um so you, you worked on um uh Cory Booker's campaign, you worked with Hillary Clinton's campaign, Ian. What did you think of Biden's campaign? Because it seemed pretty um, conservative it kind of let Trump do his thing and he was the alternative yeah I mean um like just outside looking in like uh after Corey's campaign I went to a media firm Bully Pulpit Interactive and we did work with um Biden's campaign on the digital side so not speaking from that perspective speaking more from like a public observer watching um, I think it was really smart. I think um, it was on message in that, like, it, how do I put this? Like, he stuck to bread and butter in a way that, like, only he can really. Like, he knows that it's not a cult of personality for him and that people are looking for, like, a reprieve. You know, and he's trying to be like that, that safe home, that safe harbor. And I think he stuck to that even when shit got hairy, you know, and I think like, hey, uh, uh, sticking to the present and what's going on now. And when COVID hit, he kind of really like stepped up to the plate as like even like a symbolic figurehead. I mean, he really couldn't do anything but say like what he would do. But that simple act just opposed to like Trump completely failing on the issue kind of like teed it up for him to be in a really good place. And I don't know what this looks like if COVID never happens or 
if Trump doesn't do as bad, like even if um, Trump like realized that the Senate was negotiating on a COVID relief package earlier than like the day before it was going to pass and actually spent any time in D.C. and actually fought to get like $2,000 checks out a couple months before the election. I think that could swing an election that was really close. Imagine if everybody in Georgia got a $2,000 check with Trump's name on it, how many swing voters go the other way, right? Like, I think like it was a lot of very like huge mistakes on Trump's part and like small consistent victories on Biden's part that won that election. Um, But yeah, I mean like it, there's a whole bunch of scenarios where we don't win that, but I don't, I think like that's where it comes down to in an incumbent president's election. It's more like, theirs to lose than their opponents to win like you have to be you have to mess up a lot to to lose your first thing. trump certainly did a lot of messing up so yeah. thank, thank god that he did that by to get it in there and win yeah. it was much but more yeah, i mean that's him that's him like he's that type like the the whole time you knew that if anything really like hit the fan that's not the person you wanted in there for, for, for like economic policy that basically runs itself if you hire half decent people in the Fed or like you have other people to hold you up. But when you need like actual leadership, you can't take that in that position. You have to have it. And he just doesn't. Or didn't. He didn't today. I definitely agree with that. Uh, it was much more about Trump losing than Biden winning. And everything down to his campaign slogan was just, like, not inspiring. It was just like, we're not, you know. <laughs> they were just like, we're build back better. It's not going to inspire anyone. Like, you know. Yeah. It was more about Trump failing in COVID, Trump failing at getting people relief, <laughs> and Trump really just failing the Senate uh, Republicans right before Georgia. Yeah. That's what lost him everything. No, I think I think that's huge. I think like yeah, like you said, I think while it wasn't like the the goal was to like definitely be the place where like because you need all voters to win, right? Like we needed Republicans to win this election, right? It wasn't just about turning out your coalition solely. So the things that may have been inspiring to somebody like you or I who's gonna vote for him anyway might not necessarily draw like that suburban Republican in Georgia. So what will draw them is if you can cut a contrast and that contrast is, hey, I'm the actual adult that can be president. And like, if you can project that as much as possible, you put yourself in a position to capitalize on mistakes that the other side is inevitably gonna make. Gotcha. Um, so have one more question for you, Ian. So for me, after election night, I, I'm living in the UK right now. So I woke up early mm-hmm. and I checked and, you know, Trump was winning everything. And I was like, oh, shit, like he's going to crush us. Like you probably knew the mainland was coming, but like everything I'm sure took longer than you thought as well. Like what was the like three or four day span like for you? Because you said, like, I saw you on Instagram popping bottles. You were excited. Like, what was it like? Yeah. I mean, through the process. Yeah. Uh, so what? Basically, the first night, I went to bed at, like, 10 o'clock. Like, I was like, I, I know how this is about to happen. 
Like there is no point in even digesting any information on the first night because it's all bullshit. Whether or not whether we're winning or they're winning, it doesn't mean anything. And like, even though everybody, me and everybody at my job, everybody in the campaign knew that, people still kind of like let it flush at them. But I was like, yeah, this is it doesn't make any sense to even pay attention to election night. And then you wake up the next day and like you see things getting tight. And once there's like once Pennsylvania goes basically 50 50, I'm seeing Georgia's basically 50 50. I'm like, it's over. I think I popped like I popped bottles maybe two days before CNN called it because I, I knew it was over. Like there's just a point where um, where if you are even in a state and 70 percent of the mail in ballot hasn't come in yet you know you won because there was one whole side telling their folks to go to the polls because COVID doesn't exist, right? So, like, just the way the ballots were going to shake out. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, it was the first night was, like, it was just intense up until, like, I forgot what what state really broke it for us. Was it Arizona? I think Arizona was called, but then people were like, y'all called that too early, but then they were right, so they didn't call it too early, obviously, but. Yeah, it was like there was a there was a point where there was it was a combination. It was Michigan, I think. There was a combination of Michigan, Arizona, Wisconsin, and Georgia, and North Carolina that we were waiting for. If we win two, we win, and I think we won Michigan and Arizona. I called my grandma. I said we won, um, and I drank that night. And then the morning, Saturday morning, I like spray champagne again. So, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I'm sure you poured your heart and soul into it. This summer and fall man hell yeah that's awesome yeah it's fun though winning elections is fun losing it sucks (laughs) (laughs) but now it's on to what 2022 2024 we got to keep the house now like i said we have to do everything we can in two years because everything after it is not guaranteed it's almost less than guaranteed it's like unlikely that we keep everything so how do you think um the role of Big Tech is going to play in the 2022 elections. I know it's super early, but I mean, you saw like, obviously it's a more left-leaning company, Mm -hmm. but they have an obligation to and the right to block misinformation, you know? Mm -hmm. So what do you think uh, the future of that is? That's a good question. I don't know. Like, um, I want to wonder like if, we've like opened Pandora's box and by we, I mean like Donnie and co like is, is the trust of election are the trust of election results that don't come out in your favor for the Republican party permanently a thing that will be questioned, right? Like is every election that they lose a fraud? I don't know. Like, and I don't know how they're going to handle it. Cause they can say it. I mean, it was a lie last time. There was no predicate for them to say it. So why not say it every time, right? Like, if the criteria is we lost to say it is fraud, then I I wonder if that is a tactic that, um, like, the worst parts of that party will go to from now on because that's going to influence what big tech does about the misinformation, right? Like, if you're, un- if you're trying to undermine the election through misinformation. Um, but other than that, I don't know. I think, like, we as a country and a government and big tech as like a sector like came to a realization that we've fundamentally broken something um in communication and in truth and like 
I think they're trying to figure it out. And if they don't figure it out, somebody's going to figure it out for them. And I don't think they want that. So I don't know how to fix it, but they're just going to have to figure it out. Like, because one of at some point somebody's going to going to try to regulate the issue. Um, and whether it's us or the other party, it kind of still sucks for big tech either way. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know how they fix it and I don't know how we would fix it, but I know something has to change, right? Like, that's all I know. I don't know what it looks like in 2022. Honestly, with these congressional and Senate elections, I think it's less impactful than the presidential. But by 2024, yeah, it could be a whole new world. I don't know. So much has changed in the last four years that trying to predict the next four is nuts. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that was a tough question. <laughs> but I mean, obviously, it's going to play a role in, in uh, the midterms as well. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think I think that does it for today. Cool. Thank you so much for joining us, Ian. You were great. Ned, great to have you as, as well. Our Washington co- correspondent. <laughs> sure. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to another episode of All Right, Shut Up. Make sure to go ahead and leave us a review. Help us grow the podcast. All right, shut up. Catch us next week on all your favorite podcast sites.